My name is Shannon Beer. I am a nutrition coach and educator interested in the consilience of knowledge across disciplines, including science, psychology, philosophy, art and literature. The goal of this podcast is to bridge those disciplines and explore different perspectives in order to gain a greater understanding of myself, others and the world around us. Enjoy the show. Today I am joined by Luke Tulloch, who is an online trainer and educator from Sydney, currently based in Gothenburg, who coaches people to feel strong without the constant food stress. And what I like about Luke is that he's not just about health and fitness for the sake of health and fitness. And he has many interests, some of which we'll probably touch on. I think he even got a degree in neuroscience once upon a time. (laughs) And (laughs) someone with his degree of knowledge, he's all about making things as simple and effective as possible rather than complicating things for the sake of it which I think we can have a tendency to to do and it really is Luke's love of learning that I wanted to speak more about today Um, and I wanted to start off actually with a bit of goal setting because I know that this is something you've been speaking to a lot recently and I understand that you're actually writing a course on um, writing a training program I think that that's probably inspired a bit more um, reading into the research relating to to goal setting so how can we set ourselves goals that actually work for us because I think that in the fitness industry there's a tendency to set a goal maybe not consider why we care about setting that goal and then follow it blindly and blame ourselves when we're not making progress towards that goal and I think that there's a lot to be said for actually setting decent goals in the first place and making them work for us yeah, you're 100% right. Uh, I think the, the first place to start is really to try and understand how your goal aligns with your values. That's, that's really the first thing that I start all my clients with. So to give a little bit of context, when I coach people online, the first step is we do what I call like a foundation week. And that's just like a series of worksheets and videos and stuff like that around you know, behavior change and goals and this kind of stuff. But at its core, it's about trying to figure out what are my intrinsic values? What really matters to me? A little bit beyond like, okay, maybe that still ends up being some sort of, you know, body composition goal or whatever it is, but really understanding fundamentally why you're trying to do it. And that helps us to figure out the process of, you know, how are we going to achieve this goal? And that's quite important. It's, it's pretty different to going in with like a, okay, um, here's my smart goal, you know, here's my 10 kilo weight loss by this time, etc. And if we start from that place of figuring out intrinsic values, then it means that sometimes there are a variety of pathways to achieve our ultimate goal. Uh, and, and that gives us flexibility and variety and it gives us more options, which is really cool. So I think that's kind of the first thing that we need to think about. And then from there, it's, you know, like I say, the smart goals where they are specific and measurable and, and all this sort of stuff, time constrained, etc. I think have a place in, in goal setting, but it sort of has become the de facto way to set a goal. And people seem to think that unless you set a smart goal, it's bound to fail. Uh, But there are a variety of sort of goal setting techniques that we can use that don't conform to the traditional smart goal sort of framework that still work really, really well. So one of the ones that I really like is uh, actually having quite a vague outcome goal. So uh, let me just kind of back up a little bit like an outcome goal might be something that further in the future where we're trying to achieve. 
um, and that's more uh, distal, I suppose, whereas something that is uh, more proximal, we would call like a proximal goal. And so I think it's shifting the orientation between like, is this sort of a distal outcome-based goal to something that's just like kind of more proximal, something that I can do tomorrow or this week. Uh, and so forward goal setting kind of involves just having this vague goal of perhaps I want to get stronger or I want to lose weight or I want to get good at this thing um, without it being hyper-specific and then figuring out, okay, well, what are the actions I need to take on a shorter time scale to move me closer to that goal in some way? And I've actually found that for a lot of my clients, that works a lot better than having a specific, like I need to gain X amount of muscle or I need to lift this amount or something. So um, that that's kind of where I'm at with the goal setting is that I think that perhaps moving away from being hyper-specific hyper on a longer-term scale and kind of shifting the focus so that we have something that is a little bit more values-oriented and something that is a little more, I suppose, focused, process-focused, I suppose, which, which is maybe a little bit of a trope these days, um, is much more effective. Uh, I mean, there's other stuff you can do as well, and I'm kind of going on a little bit here, so feel free to interrupt if you want to. Uh, but another thing that I really like actually that I've found really helpful for me is because I'm interested in so many things and I find a lot of people will come to me and they'll go like well you know I want to improve my squat and I want to improve my relationship with food and I want to lose weight and 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 one of the helpful things that I found is actually this concept of an anti-goal what don't you want if there's one thing that you just don't want to happen that's absolutely not part of your future as you see it like, let's think about that, and that helps us to refine. And in, in a sense, what we're doing here is we're actually stripping away things. We're starting to remove some things. And that sort of return to essentialism, and I suppose it's kind of like a more of a minimalist mindset, I find is actually really helpful just from a sense of clarity and a sense of kind of purpose. Uh, because once you start to figure out, like, actually, I don't want this, 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 and this, Okay, great. Well, that leaves maybe a couple of other things that we can then focus on and kind of figure out from there. So those are a few techniques that I like to use anyway, and I find that they're much more effective than, say, your traditional SMART goal. Absolutely. I think that we forget when it comes to, to setting SMART goals that as humans, we don't often really have a good idea of what we want. And I think sometimes a goal that's too specific ends up being followed pretty blindly and not really resulting in the outcome or the, the intention, you know, the reason we set it in the first place. The SMART goal tells you what to do, but it doesn't necessarily tell you why you care about it. And you mentioned yeah. getting in touch with your intrinsic values is something that's really important to consider because it not only offers a bit of variety and flexibility, but also I would say it increases our behavioral repertoire, which means we're probably more likely to achieve that SMART goal if it's bound to a value in the first place. So you mentioned that when someone signs up for you, they spend their first week sort of figuring out what they really care about. How do you help someone? So I find that I think when talking about values, it can seem very abstract. So how do we go about mm. figuring out our intrinsic values? Yeah, actually, this is really common. It's quite tough, actually, I think, because, you know, when you think about the stuff that perhaps you care about it, you might end up with a list of like 10 or 15 or 20 things, right? Um, so for me, I like to firstly say that a value that you hold is not something that is set in stone and is never going to change. Um, there, there may be something that you care about more than other things right now, and that might change in a year or so. Like we're not static things. We, we change and we, and we evolve and we, um, you know, we have experiences that maybe change our mind on stuff. So generally speaking, there's probably still going to be 
you know, if you look at a list of values, for example, I usually give an example sort of list that you can that you can use just to spur, spur some ideas. Um, there might be sort of five of those that are going to more or less always going to be pretty high for you for sure. But the priorities might change. So I like to impress upon people like selecting your values now doesn't mean like this is it. And like all of your goals are going to be based on these set in stone values in this specific order for perpetuity. Um, it's more a case of like, hey, right now, what are the top sort of three to five that really resonate with me the most? Doesn't mean that the others don't matter, uh, but it just means that it's going to help us guide a little bit um, what our goals and our behaviors are going to be to align with those values. And so I think just impressing upon people that, uh, again, we're not trying to sort of have, I suppose, a almost like, you know, the, the personality tests and like people will go in and maybe do some sort of personality test and they'd be like, well, I am an X or like uh, they have this funny one in Sweden here where apparently everybody went through this in the workplace in like the 80s and stuff where they just color coded people. So it'd be like, oh, I'm a yellow person and my boss is a blue person. So like I got to change jobs because we're not compatible or something. Um, you know, we're not trying to define ourselves with these sort of weird sort of personality tests or anything. Um, we're just trying to get a sense of like for me right now, what actually matters. Uh, and that might change in the future. So I, I do recommend sort of revisiting values. But um, to answer your question a bit more specifically, I think that the easiest way to do it is to maybe provide some examples to people to help them understand that like you're not committing to anything that you uh, you may regret later or something like that. It's really just about, I think, um, prioritizing a few that, that really matter to you and then kind of going from there. Now, it is a little bit challenging because especially working online, it can be a little bit difficult to have conversations with people because sometimes when we talk to somebody, we can, um, if we ask the right questions, we can help them to kind of develop their ideas and express themselves. So I do encourage people to uh, write down stuff as well, just to express it in some way or even record an audio thing on their phone or something just to kind of help structure their thoughts. Hey, why, why do I feel like this is an important value for me? Um, or what am I thinking about this whole values exercise or whatever? And that can sometimes be quite a useful tool as well. Mm, yeah, I love that. And I think it doesn't have to be, as you say, anything really crazy, just having a list of some values that may stand out to you and considering what your current priorities are and how your values may change over time. Could you give us an example of some of your values and potentially some goals that you're working towards that reflect that? Yeah, I mean, I think I could pretty much summarize it all in, um, I suppose, just fulfilling my uh my potential if i could sort of just summarize all of the you know there's probably a lot of different terms i could use for values that kind of associate with that but i think that includes things like um, progression is quite important to me and i would say that learning is quite a big one for me as well um, those are things that i feel are important it also kind of encapsulates some form of challenging myself um, and the nice thing about that is that it, it you know, that's, it's fairly broad, but I can sort of apply this in a lot of different areas. Whereas previously I might have sort of said to myself, like I, you know, I want, I want to have these business goals and I want to look a certain way and I want to lift a certain amount and something like that. I think the, the general concept of, um, progressing and working towards my potential in these different areas allows me a scope to, uh, express myself in these different areas in a lot of different ways. It doesn't have to be defined by, well, my business has to 
have a certain monetary value or I have to weigh a certain amount on the scale or I have to lift a certain amount on the bar. If we have something that is more like, well, I'm just working towards my potential and I'm focusing on personal progress and becoming a well-rounded human being, then there's lots of different ways I can achieve that. And it still allows me the, I suppose, the constraints within you know, lifting or business, or whatever, to push me forward. I think that's that's kind of an important concept. Just as a bit of an aside, is that um, I think this whole goal setting process is is just about intelligently defining some constraints. If we have constraints that are too constraining, to to use that term, then that's perhaps not a good thing. It's not flexible enough. Um, and if we have no constraints, then it kind of doesn't give us any push or any direction. And so it's just about trying to find where we can apply those constraints. But that's for me kind of like really important. Um, and again, I revisit this fairly frequently just to make sure that is this stuff still important to me or has the priority shifted a little bit maybe. But for me, that's, that's kind of been quite consistent is, is the idea of progression, fulfilling potential. Um, yeah, but without the, the sort of pressure of like, unless you are the best you can ever be, you know, that's it, you're, you're not worth it or something. It's funny to consider like where that pressure comes from, because I think that's something that a lot of people could relate to is feeling like they need to be the best and they need to get better and better and better. And the way that we measure that is with some concrete metric, like my financial income or the number on the scale, as you say. And it's a shame because I do think that people in my experience seem hesitant to let go of some of those concrete measurements of progress, feeling that if they don't measure it in that way, then there's sure, surely no sign of progression whereas as you say if the goal is to fulfill your potential you need a guiding direction to keep you on track to provide context to those goals because what happens when you achieve a goal anyway you're just going to set another one that's probably bigger and better so where are those goals heading you I think is the question that getting in touch with values helps you to, to answer. And you mentioned um, something about the sort of um, taking things away, the essentialism, the subtractive kind of mindset. How does that apply to the goal setting process then? If somebody set themselves a goal where they wanna improve their, their health and well-being in some way, why does setting an anti-goal help with that? Yeah, well, <clears throat> excuse me. I mean, I can use myself as an example here as well. I would say that, you know, with, with the values that I provided you, I also have these anti-goals of not feeling too constrained. So I suppose almost a, a value of mine is also having freedom and independence. That's quite important to me as well. Uh, and so that automatically kind of just discounts a lot of goals that I might want to pursue, or at least the way in which I pursue them as well. Uh, to give an example, if I wanted to improve my business, but it ended up meaning that, uh, you know, I was locked into working 60 hour weeks or something like that, I recognize that that's actually not in line with my values, although it might seem like, oh, well, that means I'm fulfilling my potential and I'm making progress. Actually, one of my anti goals is that I don't want to work more than 40 hours a week. It's, you know, I, I cannot let myself do that no matter what. And so it sort of chops down your options a little bit. And I think that's the, the nice thing about the essentialism or the anti-goal. Like I said before, I, I feel that a lot of people who come into this sort of realm, um, to, to give a bit of context for people out there, the people that I coach are mostly sort of intermediate lifters. Uh, they're fairly uh, physique focused. So some of them may have competed before as well or have designs on competing. Most of them just kind of admire 
that sort of physique, like a bikini or, or a sort of bodybuilding style of physique. And they, they kind of want to achieve something similar to that. And at the same time, I think many of them have been through this process of training five, six days a week and dieting really hard and that sort of thing. And they want to have a better relationship with their training and with their food. So that's often a confusing situation for them because they have these lofty goals and they're exposed to a lot of these physiques that they admire on social media, for example, and they want to challenge themselves and get better and this sort of thing. But at the same time, they want to have balance in their life. They want to enjoy their social life. They want to have a healthy relationship with food. And I think it gets really confusing because those seem to be at odds with one another often in, in practice. And so the anti-goal is something that just helps define that a lot better. How do we go about actually achieving these things? Uh, like I say, if your anti-goal is that perhaps, you, you know, you don't want to get to a situation where you're avoiding social occasions because you are tracking your food or because you have a diet goal, then that just chops out a whole bunch of um, ways that we might implement your, uh, your diet or your training or whatever it is. Uh, so it's actually a really helpful tool in my experience because it just chops down some of that confusion. And sometimes, like I say, when we have constraints, that's actually really, really handy and gives us a lot of direction. And it's it can feel quite positive. I sometimes don't know if I like the term anti-goal because it sounds a little bit negative, but in a way it's it's incredibly freeing because it it's sort of, Ironically, by giving us some restrictions, it actually frees us up quite a lot. Yeah, I love that idea of applying some constraints to something. It's kind of like, yeah, that almost that discipline equals freedom type um, rhetoric. But what I think is unique about the anti-goals is that it seems that they can be very helpful to solve value conflicts. Whereas you say, you know, well, I would like to improve my health and fitness. I want this physique goal, but not at the cost of my social life. And I think that helps those types of people who are very much that way of, oh, you know, I've got to achieve this goal no matter what. For some reason that seems to be celebrated. Whereas mm. we can actually give ourselves permission to say, no, I'm going to try as hard as I can within these constraints because I also have other things in my life that I care about. And I'm just trying to manage all of these priorities, which doesn't mean giving 100% to a single thing. It means doing my best at everything that's important to me. And I think sometimes that juggling act can be a bit difficult. Yeah, totally. I think there's a, a massive element of like sunk cost fallacy in pursuing goals, right? Um, I've, I've worked with a lot of people who have worked super hard to, for example, get up on on stage. And it's like that, that often feels quite hollow to them because they sacrifice so much. And when they achieve it, it's maybe, you know, like, what do I do now? Or it doesn't feel as good as they thought it would. And it's purely because they've put so much effort and that has been their goal for so long that they almost have to keep pursuing that goal, even if they kind of know deep inside that like there has to be something else. Um, just because of the amount of effort they put in, it's now a part of their identity and this kind of thing. So uh, there is a massive sort of sunk cost fallacy associated with that. And I think the anti-goal just helps to make that clear when it is the case. Like you say, um, it allows you to kind of give yourself permission to pursue other things as well. 
I wish I had found out about the concept of Manticore a while back because I think the sunk cost fallacy is definitely real. And I remember signing up to do a uh, master's in nutrition and I wasn't particularly Mm. interested. I didn't feel like I necessarily needed it for anything that I wanted to do, but I did feel some sense of obligation or pressure to just have a master's just for the sake of it. So I did it for a while and then decided, you know what, this actually isn't fulfilling my value of curiosity because I don't care about the material. So it's not actually for me. Um, I wonder if you have any examples of times where you have switched paths or given up on goals to pursue something else. Oh, geez, Uh, quite a lot, I would say, like probably also from a sort of academic slash professional perspective, I would say that's pretty true of me, to be honest, and something that I still struggle with a little bit because like I say, a big thing of mine is like, I have this idea that I, I have a lot of potential in a lot of areas and I, I really want to fulfill that. Um, but similarly, you know, studying academically as well as, you know, I think I like the idea of, of a master's or a PhD, but ultimately it doesn't really mean anything and it's not really going to improve what I do day to day. And the cost is pretty high, you know, uh, just from, from time and effort and, and all this sort of stuff. Uh, so that's something that, that kind of speaks to me as well. I mean, there's other stuff in business, for example, I've made a conscious decision to keep my business smaller than it could be because, um, you know, at one point I, I really wanted to push it higher purely because, not really because of the dollar value, but just out of a out of a sense of progression and again fulfilling potential. I remember actually a little anecdote here. I was working at a gym called Lift Performance in Sydney, and we used to host gymnastic bodies for their courses. So this is like um, gymnastic strength training for adults who had never done gymnastics before. And the guy who took that used to be the national coach for the um, the junior national team in the US. So really accomplished guy, but like, he's got a super alpha mindset, right? So he, I remember one day, actually, he came in and he just went on this massive rant for like three hours about how good his business was. And this is all the cars I have and all this sort of stuff. And he kind of said, it doesn't really matter. Like I've got more money than I could ever know what to do with. But for me, it's a scorecard. Like just that number getting higher for him is a score, like on a video game. And he wants his high score to be as high as possible. And it just hit me like, dude, this is freaking miserable. Like, I cannot believe that that I'm sitting here listening to this dude tell me how big his bank account is. So that's always stuck with me. And in the same way, I kind of felt in my own business, like, hey, if I did X last year, I want to do Y this year, because that's a signifier of progress, right? And it's me fulfilling my potential. And it actually represents me helping more people in many ways. Kind of realized that uh, I was detracting from my quality of life significantly. So um, that's definitely something that changed for me. And I've made a conscious decision that, like, hey, um, you know, where my business is right now, it keeps me more than comfortable. And actually, one of the advantages is that uh, it, it fulfills some of my anti goals of not working more than a certain amount and allowing me to pursue other things as well, which, which allows me to satisfy that value of seeking progress and fulfilling my potential in, in other areas. So, yeah. That's such a great example, because I think many online coaches and trainers are business owners themselves, they're self-employed, and there is certainly a sort of pressure, again, I don't really know where it comes from, probably from a a number of influences, but definitely a pressure to always achieve more and more and more. And I know that I often get like messages saying, you know, how comes you get so much, like you you do so much reading, like I wish I could learn as much as you. I'm like, look, I don't have a family, I don't have kids, I don't commute anywhere, I live 10 minutes from the gym. 
home. I don't cook. I get everything delivered. Like, of course I have. Reading is actually my leisure time as well, which I think a lot of people don't take into consideration because for some reason we put that on a pedestal and you, you wouldn't necessarily ask someone, you know, how do you find so much time to watch TV? But for, for some reason, you know, when we're doing stuff towards our business or whatever, it's um, congratulated. And I had the, the thought that, you know, when I got into a relationship, I was like, wow, no wonder I could do so much when I was on my own. Of course I could, because I didn't have anyone else to consider. And now that I have other people in my life, actually my life is better off for it. And I don't feel the urge to, to work as much because I have nothing to, to prove to anyone. And then also by extension, I was thinking, why am I so concerned about helping people with my business at the expense of people in my immediate day-to-day -day life, because isn't helping someone in any context the same thing at the core. And I think that's probably like an important message for a lot of coaches to hear is that yes, your business is important. Yes, you're passionate about your work. You know, you do have potential there, but you also have potential in other areas of your life. I mean, you've touched on, you know, how that's kind of related to your own business progress. And the fact is like, we're all still making progress, right? It's probably just mm. in a different way to what we had imagined. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, I think that pressure, yeah, it's it's interesting. Obviously, the the sort of general work culture and the like, more productivity at all costs, uh, as far as a bottom line goes, is is interesting, and it's something that gives people a lot of guilt, which is which is really sad, you know. But I, I totally agree. Like at the end of the day, you have to kind of. I this this whole idea of um, delayed gratification, I think, gets a little bit twisted sometimes because it's it's an important concept, but we kind of take it to the extreme in the in the typical work life because it's like, hey, you got to do forty, fifty, sixty hours a week until you're sixty or sixty five, and then you get to pursue the things that are meaningful to you. What? I want to do it now, man. Like I'm in my thirties. This is the perfect time to do it. I'm in my prime right now. Like let's 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 go on on that stuff. Um, so I think that perspective is is pretty important. I suppose as a as a business owner, there's a little bit of you deal with a bit of uncertainty around like, well, if I don't work now, then in the future, you know, perhaps I won't have as much and all this sort of stuff. But ultimately, if you get pretty clear on your values and what's important to you, then it, it's a no brainer for me that like I don't. I don't want to work anymore because that's detracting from what is truly important to me. Um, and once you experience that and you, and you truly embody it, then there's no going back. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's so funny because I actually had a conversation similar to this um, with my dad a few years ago when I decided not to pursue my law career any further. And he was mm. saying, why don't you just do it until you're 40? And then, you know, then you can retire and you'll have money and you can do what you want. And I was like, I could die any minute. Why am I going to wait yeah, until yeah. I'm 40 to start living my life? And I, I have this maybe naive sense that if you're doing something that you enjoy and, you know, there are ways to make things work. And I think keeping what's most important to you in mind will really help to guide you with uncertain decisions. Um, so we've touched on business and I think this kind of relates to another interest of yours that I think potentially would be worth um, speaking to as well. And I know that you've found a lot of value in sort of financial planning. So could mm. you start by telling us how you got into that and why you think it's probably important to consider? Yeah, I think it's massive. I honestly think this changed my life for the better. It's one of the, the better things I, I learned how to do, to be perfectly honest. Uh, and the reason why is because it provides you a lot of freedom and it helps make your priorities clear. It's another way almost of, of going through that values exercise. Um, 
so I think I first started really getting into this probably in my mid, early to mid twenties. Uh, you know, business was like, okay, but I was studying at the same time. I was spending more money than I ever should have on things like supplements and this kind of stuff, which, uh, it makes me cringe when I think back at it. But, um, you know, I, I moved out from, from home and, um, was like living with my now wife and all this sort of stuff. And, and we just decided like, we need to learn how to budget here. And by doing that, uh, the method I used was actually with an app called you need a budget, which uses a system of just allocating every dollar a job. So you basically have all of your money, everything's going somewhere, you have to specifically allocate it. And because you have, let's say, you know, X amount, you then have to allocate it between all these different categories, it kind of makes you think like, geez, how much do I allocate to everything? And how much am I currently spending there? And is that out of whack? Like if I have 50 bucks a week on alcohol, is that like, am I cool with that? Or could that $50 go towards an airplane ticket in a year's time or something like that? So that really got me thinking about this whole priority things and values and that sort of stuff. And, and I suppose aside from anything else, just the pressure it takes off financially of actually knowing like, Hey, if anything happens, like I got it covered, it's sweet. Or knowing that by this time next year, I'll have a plane ticket in my hand because I put away, you know, $30 this week or something. Um, it, it's really, it's really great. It helps a lot with identifying priorities. So that's something that I've done ever since. And in the same way, I've kind of made it an important thing to manage uh, lifestyle creep and that sort of thing, which is, you know, it's pretty easy to get into the, the sort of hedonistic treadmill with that stuff. Um, so certainly our standards of living have risen a little bit and I, I do like expensive gadgets and that sort of stuff. But ultimately, like if I spend two or $3,000 on a guitar, it's, it's, worth a lot to me and it doesn't affect my the rest of my life it's not like i'm unable to pay a bill because i've done that and so it, it just gives you the freedom to pursue hobbies and to not feel financial stress and to identify your priorities and that sort of thing and in the same way it's also allowed us to save a fair bit and invest a fair bit and that means that um you know at the end of the day we'll have what's often referred to as fuck you money like if i don't want to do something I'm not financially pressured to do it. Uh, I have the money that will allow me to survive. And that means that I get to kind of work how I want to in the future, which is cool. It's so funny that you use the phrase, fuck you money, because I think I used to be very adverse to the idea of um, being wealthy and earning lots of money, probably because I found it difficult. You know, when I was younger, mm -hmm. I've worked like since I was young, um, my family never had, you know, significant amounts of money. So I was like, oh, this is all overrated. Like, but then I came across the concept of fuck you money. And I was like, no, 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 this is what it's really about. <laughs> Not having money for the sake of it. It's having money for the opportunities, for the freedom, for the, I guess, enhanced quality of life not because as you say you just want materialistic possessions but mm. just for that security and potentially the opportunity to provide for others like there's no downside I, i'd recommend people just googling fuck you money i think i first heard of it yeah. uh, it was nasim talib maybe but mm. i don't know that's where i came across it um but you mentioned how yeah, spending, uh, having this financial planning allowed you to really get in touch again with your values and your priorities. And I think even the happiness research, you know, think of it, you know, whatever you have to say about it, um, but does suggest that spending money on experiences in the long run contributes to happiness or well-being more so than material possessions. So I would say probably the reason that you've got a lot of enjoyment about 
out of a guitar is because actually it's an investment but every time you're playing mm. that's an experience and probably an experience not just for yourself but potentially for other people who are listening to you play guitar or people that you're playing with um so i know that you're a fan of fine dining as well so yes <laughs> yeah, there, very what, much how did you decide what experiences for you would be worth investing in yeah, it's a tough one sometimes. Do you know what? I think you're 100% right. And I actually, on our recent sort of travels, I kind of realized the value of like, um, we don't want to fall into a materialistic trap, but sometimes there are things that just make your life so much more comfortable by spending money on them. You know, um, we just to give a like a quick rundown of it, we started traveling before the pandemic really took over the world. And then it happened. We ended up having to move to the Netherlands for a little bit, which is a bit of a long story, so I won't go into it. But when we were there, we knew we were only going to be there temporarily. Uh, we needed to stay for about six months for visa purposes. And we lived in like a decent apartment, but it was full of really cheap furniture. And, and we were, you know, everything we owned was like in a pair of suitcases. So one for my wife, one for me. And we just kind of realized like some of the creature comforts really do make quite a big difference. You know, like I've got a, a sort of a really nice microphone set up now and it uh, like gives me a lot of pleasure that the audio quality is going to be good on my recordings and you know I have a nice computer now and all this sort of stuff I just kind of it made me realize like before I was pretty like ah oh, you know material goods whatever sort of thing but I did realize that sometimes actually having a big monitor is really nice compared to like working on a laptop all the time or whatever so that was like quite an interesting experience for me because I was like hang on uh, actually sometimes material goods do improve your life quite a lot uh, but you're right, you know, like with the guitar, for example, having a nice guitar enables that experience and it just the the it's a material good, but in, it enhances my material experience. It enhances my um, my enjoyment of music and that sort of stuff. And I kind of view the fine dining in the same way. You know, we have we're lucky enough to have the disposable income to to do that sort of stuff. And um you know, it's interesting because we've been experiencing all of the sort of fine dining restaurants that Gothenburg has to offer. It's quite a few. It's not as much as in Sydney and Melbourne, but there's quite a few really nice ones. And it's quite funny because we went to one Michelin starred place and it's like, yeah, the food was great and all this sort of thing. But the overall experience of it was actually not that amazing because the service was kind of like not super attentive and, and that sort of thing, which I, which I kind of expected. And we keep going back to this, this other place, uh, where they now treat us like bloody celebrities. And we've only been there three times. Um, but that just overall dining experience for us is just something that lives on and on and on in our memories. And I feel like we, we re-experience it so often when we talk about it, my wife and I, that you, you kind of get this, um, this compounding value from it in a way. Like it's very, very expensive. So it's not something that we do super often, but it just enhances your appreciation for everything else. It's like, if I can start to identify like, oh, this is what um, food can taste like, and I can identify these different flavors and the way that this is prepared, then all of a sudden, every, everything else that I eat is put into context with that, and I can enjoy that as well. Uh, so there's something about that. And I think there's also something about um, being able to like develop my palate outside of that experience and then to go to that experience and get the satisfaction of being like, wow, this is now even better for me because in the rest of my life, I've kind of been making this progress, so to speak, in developing my palate and different cooking techniques and learning more about coffee and beer and all this sort of stuff. And then when I'm put into this, uh, this almost ultimate expression of like culinary, um, 
technique and, and, and ingredients that are premium and all this sort of stuff, I can get even more out of it, which is quite a satisfying experience. So it's quite difficult sometimes to, to figure out exactly what experiences are going to be worth the money. But I think that, uh, ultimately the experiences kind of stick with you longer than you expect. And sometimes the material stuffs sort of enhances your, um, or you enjoy it for not as long as you would generally expect in, in many cases. So I don't know, that's my sort of take on it. Yeah, I think we're very much on the same page there. I think my um, life changed when I went to a restaurant and they explained the meal before they put it down. And I was like, oh, yeah. this is what it's about. And that's how you know. Um, and, and yeah, totally understand how it can help you to savor all kinds of experiences. Like I'm very much like you, I really enjoy the fine dining, but I also like street food, you know, it's just totally different yeah. experience. And all of it, it, all of it enhances, I think my life in some way. And as you say, you have these memories and these experiences that last way longer than just things that may improve your social status or your ranking or whatever it is, which ultimately doesn't, you know, really lead anywhere. Um, and just, yeah, just to, to add to that, I totally agree that having some material possessions you know, totally does enhance life in some way. Recently, we flew business class for like the first time from oh, how um, good is that? Vegas to um, Bali. And I was like, nope, never doing a long haul flight if it's not business again. And I've done some very shitty flights in the past. I remember when I flew into Melbourne for the first time, I had no no money on me. I think I had $100 and that was it. You had to hire a blanket. I didn't have any water for an eight hour flight. So I've oh, done God. shooting flights and I can do it. But having flown business class, that's that's what I want if I have to do <laughs> long haul. So yes, next level. Yeah, we got a free upgrade once, um, and yeah, it's like ruined flying for me because every experience after that's <laughs> not quite comparable. <laughs> that's the thing. It's like, oh well, we have to stay here now until we can afford business class. Yeah. It's so worth it. But outside of that, for the most part, as you say, you know, really investing in your experiences. Um, above and beyond anything else I think is something really worth considering for, for people looking to get into a bit of financial planning and figuring out how that relates to their goals and to their priorities and to their values and um, one thing that I did want to touch on you know as we've spoken a lot about values I wonder if values have anything to do with setting identity-based habits yeah um I think this whole concept of identity is like pretty interesting because there are so many influences on that, right? Uh, we have, I suppose, um, environmental stuff and, and societal expectations and, and all this sort of stuff coming in. Uh, and in many ways, we can also define our own identity by pursuing certain things and, and evolving as a, as a human being. And I think that some of the stuff that you put the time and effort into you kind of push that and you put energy and effort into that but it also pushes back you know and that's quite an interesting concept to think about um and uh, you know it, it probably comes back to this sunk cost idea as well uh for example i've been in gyms all my life and, and it's one of those things where you sort of start to define yourself by a certain activity that you do rather than a certain value that you have which is really, really interesting to me. And when I kind of stopped to think about that, I was like, holy crap, like all I ever do is spend time in the gym. You know, I'm a, I'm a coach or, or a trainer. I'm out on the gym floor for fun. I lift all my friends are trainers. Uh, all I read about is training. And I just kind of thought, wow, this is like so one dimensional. And 
what if that was taken away or whatever? Like, what would I be without that? And so that started to really make me think about, okay, what is it about this that I'm, that's helping me express something within me? Like, who, who am I really? And what are my values um, with regards to that? So that was quite an, an interesting thing for me. And when I kind of realized that a lot of it was around this idea of making progress and improving as a human being and, and that kind of thing, then that kind of expanded quite a lot. So now I, you know, I don't necessarily personally identify so much with, you know, being a gym guy, even though I'm quite comfortable there, but having these, these other things um, really helps a lot. So uh, I don't know if that gets at your question properly, but the, I think just that, that whole concept of identity is super interesting in, in the sense that uh, sometimes we, have this identity that we're sort of we're sort of like water filling the container so to speak um but you can change the shape of the container if you want to as well you know uh you don't have to fill in whatever you were given so to speak um yeah what are your thoughts on that i have some interesting thoughts about the concept of identity because you often hear you know set like these identity-based goals and, and um, when it's rooted in your identity that you'll have more motivation and I do see the you know the gist of that I do agree to some extent but as you say this concept of identity is actually I think sort of a container that we've put on something because we have to mm. feel a certain way and we have to behave in a certain way you know otherwise we'd just be lying in bed all day and not doing anything so by nature of living our life we are acting out some kind of identity whether or not we've committed ourselves to that and I think with the fitness industry in particular and many of the people that we probably both work with it's very common to identify yourself with as being the fit one with the sport that you pursue with the way that you look for example, which really only speaks to a tiny aspect of a person. And I got a bit, bit um, metaphysical about it once. And I was reading into this concept of the network self, which I found really eye-opening, considering the fact that you are like a network and your fitness identity is just one node in that network. And actually, you're also a sister. You're also a daughter. You're also a partner. You're a friend to whoever. You know, you, you're a reader. You're a... Uh, kickboxer like whatever it is that you do there are a number of things you're a guitar player you're a coffee snob you're a traveler there's so many parts of you and I think these different parts of ourselves do get drawn to the forefront in different contexts so Definitely. when you're in the gym you feel like the fit one you feel like the athlete but then you go to work and if you're not a fitness professional and you're working in any other domain you're suddenly something totally different but you're still you at the core so I think the mm. way that we identify ourselves is very important. And as you say, I think actually thinking of yourself as the water, as fluid and malleable, um, and that can be, you know, it can even change sort of change but still remain the same in essence that's essentially what we are as as people and I think behaving and viewing yourself in that way is so important because otherwise we get stuck in these very rigid narratives where well I'm the fit one I couldn't possibly go on holiday and not train for two weeks because who mm -hmm. am I or the gyms are shut like what do I do now so having this sort of adaptive fluid idea of of your identity and potentially like those different nodes in the network and maybe even the context that bring out 
you know, bring the characteristics of yourself to the forefront, I think can help you to develop a greater understanding of who you are and what you really care about, and then how you can continue to express yourself, as you say, in different contexts. So you mentioned that something like really important to you is the concept of fulfilling your potential, um, progress, like progression in different domains. So outside of just health and fitness, what else are you interested in? Yeah, well, you know what? So, I, I mean, firstly, I totally agree with you with the sort of context kind of shaping how you behave and, and maybe identity and this sort of stuff. But um, for me, I kind of have this weird intrinsic sense now that almost whatever I do, I can get reasonably good at. You know, I'm not going to be sort of world class or an expert at everything, but I reckon I can, you know, and that's kind of an interesting idea because I think if you do have a very rigid idea of identity, you probably don't get that sense. And that's probably something that I used to feel as a younger man. Um, but anyway, some of the other stuff I'm interested in, uh, I have a pretty broad, broad range of interests. Uh, like I'm, I'm into sort of a lot of the culinary stuff. So I really enjoy coffee. I have been getting stuck into beer a little bit more, which is a little bit challenging because they make a lot of very strong beers here in Sweden. It's like pretty common to have the, uh, the Imperial, um, porters and stouts that are sort of 12% plus. So it's almost like you're drinking, uh, uh, you know, half a liter of wine when you have one of those. But um, that sort of stuff is, is really interesting to me. I'm super into music. I think that comes a lot from my, my dad just being massively into music when we were kids and we connected a lot over that. And um, that's that's carried through now. So it's a, it's a really central part of my daily experience is music, both just listening to it and playing it. And, and the guitars help me to appreciate it even more. Uh, I'm into computer gaming and video games and that sort of stuff. I read a lot, uh, read at least an hour every day and it's mostly fantasy actually. Um, so lots of different stuff. Uh, what else like sports and, and all that sort of stuff is a big part as well. I'm quite interested in languages. I'm quite good at languages, generally speaking. So, you know, learning Swedish and trying to speak it now that I'm here is, uh, quite a satisfying journey for me. It's very challenging, but it's, it's quite satisfying. Um, you know, so I think there's quite a lot of different aspects that, uh, I wouldn't have necessarily thought originally, like, I kind of think back to the, the days at school, you know, where it's kind of like, oh, you're in this group, you're one of these people sort of thing. And I actually even found at that time, you know, I was kind of friends or like a little bit in with a bit of everybody. Like I was in with the nerds because I like computer games. I was the music people. I could kind of understand what they're talking about. And I was in a band for a little bit. I was in with all the footy boys and, and all this sort of stuff. And um, in some ways, I think sometimes you kind of feel like you don't belong to any of them properly. But now that I've grown older, I'm like, I'm actually really glad that I have these broad range of interests because it means that I can belong to whatever group I want to, you know what I mean, in some way. So yeah, lots of stuff there that I'm, that I'm pretty into. And sometimes that makes it a bit hard to uh, really commit and make a lot of progress in one area. But I think it's, it's more just about seasons. Like sometimes I'm just super absorbed with my guitar and I'll spend a lot of time with it. And sometimes, hey, the emphasis is on something else and, and that's cool. Mm, I'm glad that you said that because I think that when you do begin to to generalize like you say sometimes you feel like you're, you're not very good at any of it and often mm. you feel like you don't necessarily belong because you're not as I don't want to say committed but you're not as deep into a subject or a hobby as potential other hobbyists are which leaves you in a bit of a funny position but at the same time you've got these great benefits that come with it such as again expressing yourself in different ways just fulfilling your your curiosity and, and having access to a wide range of experiences that I think help you to 
open up your mind and then continue on. And what really interests me is sort of the capacity that we have um, in terms of like our knowledge acquisition and just how far we can take skill development. I just think it's so interesting um, when you look at that and when you think about how you could spend your time that putting it towards these different things. Yeah, it's certainly for me at least and for you, I guess, you know, more fulfilling than necessarily going down a, a very narrow path, which has its value as well. But I think there's a lot to be said for, for generalizing, even if there's nothing to show for it per se at the end of the day in the same way that becoming a, a quote unquote expert in something is. Um, so you mentioned that you spend at least an hour or so reading and you mentioned fantasy. And I think that fiction sometimes gets like a, a bad rep. It almost, if you're not reading nonfiction then it's not worth reading. So I wondered if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I got to tell you, I don't like reading nonfiction most of the time. <laughs> so um, there have been some nonfiction things that I've read uh, that I've really, really enjoyed, but I always gravitate towards fiction, um, partly because I just find it more enjoyable. It really activates my imagination and takes me out of the the world of um, music theory and like reading studies and stuff like that. Uh, but I also think that there's such value in just looking at the world a different way and Fantasy is not like lowbrow, you know, a lot of it is very, very well written and explores a lot of interesting ideas. And my favorite fantasy is this, the type of stuff where you see a lot of character development and a, um, a handling of societal issues, but not in a way that's almost you know, too obvious, I suppose. So that's kind of my favorite kind of, of thing to read. Uh, and so for me, like fiction's always been the most enjoyable thing it's it's incredible what some people can kind of come up with and i suppose just breaking out of the mold like it, it kind of fits what we've been talking about i almost feel like um there are these people out there who achieve a lot in a lot of different areas a lot of extraordinary people are actually really good at a lot of really different seemingly antagonistic like areas of life and i kind of always wonder like why is it that they can do all of that is it just that they have these exceptional genetics or something there's some kind of outlier that makes them really good at everything but often I think it's just that they allow themselves to be interested in it and they pursue it and they don't see themselves as being limited to, no, I'm a physicist, so I can't be good at whatever, you know? Um, and I think that the fantasy helps tap into that a little bit. Uh, so for me, it's, it's, it's pretty cool. And it does give some ideas that apply across the board to, to life in general. So that's my take. Nonfiction, I'm actually not a huge fan of in, in most cases. I just don't find it as interesting, to be honest. Can you give us um, maybe a top five or at least just the top five that first come to your head at this moment in time? I think you're a fan of Cormac McCarthy, is that right? Yeah, I, I like Cormac for sure. Uh, absolutely. You know, from a fan, like pure sort of fantasy perspective, but it's it's not like high fantasy with lots of spells and stuff like that. Um, I really like Joe Abercrombie's books. It's probably what people would describe a bit as grimdark or whatever, where it's... Uh, a little bit more realistic and that sort of stuff. Um, that's he's got a really good series of, of books that I really like because there is some character development and people are not um, typecast in those books. So I really enjoy that. I do like Cormac McCarthy. Um, I, I mean, I enjoy a lot of authors and sometimes you get a little bit of snobbery around this, but I think that almost every author has some aspect to their writing that you can take something out of. Like I really like a lot of John Irving's books, not all of them. But some of them uh, really, I really, really enjoyed at a particular time and place in my life. Um, 
yeah, I mean, there's there's probably so many that that I could mention, but those are some that spring to mind for sure. Yeah, awesome. You mentioned just prior to that that a lot of you know very intelligent people have a diverse range of interests that are seemingly antagonistic, but potentially do have a, a common thread that ties them all together. And I wondered whether you've noticed that having a broad range of hobbies, how your interest in one aspect may enrich your experience of something else. Have you noticed anything like that with, with your own, the way that you sort of live your life and having a bunch of different interests? Yeah, I don't know if I could give like a really explicit concrete example of that, but I do think that having the broad range of interests is this sort of fuel for your curiosity and your sort of spice for life. And um, I suppose, you know, some things even just with the reading and, and being exposed to different ways of thinking really help you to uh, identify with with clients, for example, you know, and their life experiences and that kind of thing. That's a, probably quite a good example. Um, you know, one of my favorite clients ever, and we had such a great connection, was a, a lawyer in his 50s that I used to train in Sydney. Um, I mean, we used to go out for beers and stuff uh, between our sessions. It was such an enjoyable part of my week to train the guy. And it's like, you know, I was a, a sort of kid in my, in my 20s who worked in a gym and he was a partner at a law firm in his 50s from another country. And we ended up being like great mates. And I think it was just because he was someone who was very curious and interested in a diverse range of topics and I was as well. Uh, and so we were able to connect. Um, so that's, I think, perhaps one example, but I do think that uh, one, of the, one of the great benefits of being interested in a variety of things is that there's always something interesting to do. There's always that sort of drive. Whereas at some point with the fitness industry, I was just like, man, I don't know how much I care about this anymore. You know, like it's just like been my world for so long and I just don't know if any of the stuff really matters beyond the basic stuff uh so that that's another aspect to it for sure was there anything in particular that sparked that realization um i think it was that moment where i kind of went you know what like uh i'm i'm diving deep on a lot of these topics and i'm looking at mechanisms and all this sort of stuff and ultimately i ended up getting like pretty much uh no real questions on that um, on my social media or from my clients or anything like that. It was mostly like pretty basic stuff that people were asking. And I was almost a little bit frustrated, like, Hey, I have all this knowledge, like, let me talk about mechanisms and, and fancy language and that sort of stuff. And I just kind of realized that that actually doesn't matter for most people. It doesn't enhance their experience and their life. And then I realized that like, man, my whole identity is built around being this expert who's dri driven so deep on this, this sort of fitness topic. And like I said before, all of my friends are trainers. I spent all my time in the gym. My profession is in the gym. I spent all my spare time reading about training. Like at the end of the day, it doesn't really mean that much to, to anybody else either. So I think that's where it came from for sure. Mm, that really does tie it really back down to, you know, getting in touch with those values, I think, and figuring mm. out why am I doing the things that I care about with the idea is progression or it is to, to help people then realizing what's important I think um, can really help with that so yeah thank you so much for sharing your time with us today and your words of wisdom but I do wonder before you go what's next for you is there anything that you've got coming up for yourself in the next few months next year yeah thanks for having me Shannon it's always uh, lovely to speak to you because I you know I like the uh, 
I suppose the, the the difference in in how you actually approach things and, and your curiosity. It's really nice to see. Um, for me, I am working a little bit on like a training program course, how to write your own program. I think one of my goals is to help empower people a little bit better. So um, hopefully that will remove some confusion around things for people. And the other personal thing that's happening is that my wife and I are having our first child very soon. So I'm really looking forward to just the personal growth there. And I'm sure that from a values perspective, that's going to help me really define the type of man that I want to be for our daughter. So that'll mm -hmm. be really interesting to see how that goes. That's amazing. What a nice note to, to finish up on. And yeah, thank you so much again. I'll leave any details of anything that you want to plug um, in the show notes. And I'm um, looking forward to seeing how you get on with everything you've got coming up. Thanks very much, Shannon. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you did, feel free to share on Instagram and tag me at shannonbeer underscore. Check out the show notes to learn more about today's guest. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time. Thank you.